Hi, welcome to the Romance Me podcast. This is Erica. And I'm Em, and we'd like to say a special hello to our number one and only fan. Thank you again for the book, the teas, and the letter. Love you. Teas? Teas. Teas. Yes. I got excited for a minute there. <laughs> As in, it's a tea bag, and you put it in hot water, and it makes tea. <laughs> I know this podcast is explicit, but you don't need to talk about teabagging, okay? <laughs> hey, not that kind of teabag. <laughs> Today we'll be discussing Winter's Orbit by Everina Maxwell. One day, out of the blue, free-spirited Prince Kiem learns of his duty to marry to maintain the peace. He's okay with this. He knew it would happen one day, but he doesn't want to marry the still-mourning widower of his cousin. Janin, the prospective groom, is reserved, careful, and seemingly repelled by Kim, all expected behaviors of a grieving spouse. However, when it's revealed that his previous husband died under suspicious circumstances, these actions become questionable. Caught in an expanding web of politics and deceit, Kim and Janin must learn to trust each other while they work to discover the truth and love. Content warning? for depictions of past domestic violence and abuse survivorship. There will be spoilers beyond this point. So, Erica, what political dramas are going on to start us off with? All the political dramas? Oh, my God. Well, I feel like it sets the <laughs> stage, right? Like, you gotta kind of know. Yeah, no, we, we need to. There, there needs to be so much background before we even talk <laughs> about our characters. I swear. Okay, so this is a sci-fi romance. It takes place... In an empire called the Iskat Empire, it is a seven-planet empire that is ruled by the emperor of Iskat, which is one of the planets. That sounds about right. These seven planets are distant from basically every other planet in the galaxy, I guess. And they have a thing called, what was it called, a line? I don't. No. They basically have wormholes. So they have like a wormhole that they can go through to get to elsewhere. But that means that bad guys can come through to them. However, they are part of the resolution, which is a ginormous treaty, which is almost like a, I don't know, like a mobster protection racket. Kind of. Yeah. (laughs) We'll protect you if you pay us. You know, and they have to pay them. They do have that way of getting like from point A to point B. However, in that area of space, they only have one. So it would be a bottlenecking effect. In theory, they could hold off an invasion well-ish for a while. Provided they have the resources. It's kind yeah. of like a 300 situation, you know? Totally. <laughs> yeah, they could do it for a time, but it wouldn't be sustainable because... In theory, the rest of the known universe would be coming for them, and presumably they would have more bodies. So, right. Hello, meat grinder. Now, in order to be part of the ginormous treaty that everyone is a part of, they have to have treaties between Iskat and the other six planets as well. And the way that they maintain these treaties is through political marriage. And so every 20 years, the auditor, capital A, comes to Iscat and scopes out everything, makes sure it's all above board. Okay, are all these planets actually willingly part of this treaty? All right, 
okay, you can be renewed for another 20 years. And then he fucks off. Yeah, because there's a lot of universe out there. Did I miss anything that we need for background M? I don't think so. If not, we'll talk about it when it comes up. Oh my god, there's so much background. (laughs) There is a lot. Yes, if you like world building. (laughs) And political intrigue. And twists and turns. This is the story for you. (laughs) And romance. And romance. So at the beginning of the story, we're introduced to Kiem, who is an imperial prince. Prince is a non-gendered title in this story. Yeah, all their titles seem to be non-gendered because emperor is non-gendered as well. Yeah, the the emperor is female. Kiem is male. The emperor is still an emperor, not an empress. Correct. Um, one of Kiem's cousins is a woman, but is still a prince. Yep. So... It's one of those interesting little details in the story, but Prince Kiem is called for an audience with the emperor. Now, in the past, Kiem has had other audiences with the emperor due to his past indiscretions. <laughs> He's been a naughty boy. You get the impression he was, yeah, he was a bit of a party boy. He liked to drink. He got sent off to where the monks go. Monastery. <laughs> yes. Yeah, he got he got exiled to a monastery due to his behavior at one point. But he kind of turned over a new leaf. Like he's turned his reputation around. And now he has a pretty good relationship with most of the press. Like they still follow him around because he has antics. But for the most part, they're less bad and more harmless or even good. And I think he kind of grew up with them too. So it must be a weird... Weird relationship. Yeah. And so, and a lot of his his uh, actions now are like surrounding charities, things where he can use his reputation for good. He's a little worried about this meeting with the emperor for good reason. <laughs> because the emperor is just like, oh, yeah, so you're getting married tomorrow. Congratulations. <laughs> and it's a political marriage. And since he's an imperial prince, he pretty much expected to have a political marriage at some point. But the person he's getting married to is Janan. And Janan was married previously to Kiem's cousin Tam, who died recently in a flybug accident. And a flybug is like, I pictured a flying car like from the Jetsons. <laughs> yeah, I kind of did too. <laughs> <laughs> Kiem is very, very, very concerned about the impact that this speedy remarriage will have on Janan and any prospective relationship he might have with Janan. He doesn't want to be resented. He wants to be respectful of grief, feelings, all those things. Kiam is very in touch with that stuff. He even asked the emperor, oh, can we put it off? The emperor says, no, we cannot. Because Janan and Tam's relationship, their marriage, solidified the treaty between Iskat and one of the other planets, Thea. And so this is a very, very important marriage. In addition, the auditor will be coming soon to renew the big ginormous treaty. And they want to make sure everything is above board. And so this marriage needs to be like nailed down now. Right, meow. So Kiem kind of shell-shocked, goes back to his rooms. Oh yeah, everyone lives at the palace. So he has rooms at the palace. He goes back. And he starts receiving all sorts of calls, like of congratulations. <laughs> he gets a visit from his personal press secretary, like saying, here's the stuff you need to say. Stick to the script, dude. 
And then he gets an interesting call from someone named Ressa, who is Jaden's sister. And Ressa is very standoffish. These are all video calls. She asks if she can have permission to have contact with her brother. And at first, Cam is like, well, I don't, sure, I guess. But then he's thinking, oh, no, what if they're, like, estranged for some reason? I shouldn't be, like, meddling in their relationships at all. Yeah, he doesn't think it's his place. (laughs) Yeah, and then not only that, but then he thinks, and I don't want to bring it up to Janin because that would give him another reason to resent me, you know? So he gives Ressa this really... Non-committal response. Unsatisfying answer. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, he basically says, well... I'll tell him you called if he asks, <laughs> which pisses her off. I think rightfully we learn. Yeah. Um, she hangs up. And she also, doesn't she have some political position? I, uh, I forget what it is. Yeah, she does. She's she's in politics as well. I forget her her role. Yeah, she, she's not just like the, an average Jane calling. Like, she has position. True. But I think from Kiam's perspective, he doesn't think about these things this way. He is very concerned about feelings. Having grown up in that world, I think his attitude is just, it, it's different than someone who didn't. Oh, that's just a diplomat. It's fine. Whereas other people might be inclined to be like, oh, a diplomat or, oh, a prince. He's just like, yeah, it's their title, whatever. I think you're right to an extent, but I also think that he's a little bit different from a lot of other people who live in the palace, a lot of other family members, even. Some of the other people we we meet are much more politically minded. Kiam is very much more of a free spirit. He's just living his life, doing the best he can. Yeah, he's not very ambitious. I guess that's what it is, is he's not very politically ambitious. So he doesn't think to use those sorts of things. And he kind of cultivates this dumb persona, too. Yeah, he does. And I don't think he thinks of it as a persona. I think he thinks that he's dumb. He's not dumb. Yeah, no, he isn't. He has extremely high emotional intelligence, and he is very smart. He's just not book smart, I guess. Yeah. But it's not that he couldn't be, it's that he doesn't have an interest in that. True. You know, the things that he's interested in, he's awesome at. Agreed. <laughs> One of the things he's very interested in is trying to smooth things over with Janin before they get married. And he attempts to arrange, like, a time for them to meet before the ceremony. And it is <laughs> the most awkward <laughs> first meeting, I think. <laughs> I loved it. <laughs> I've read in a while. I love the awkwardness. <laughs> oh, it was so good. Oh my gosh. It was awesome. Jaden is like very much the opposite of Kim. <laughs> he is cool, collected. He doesn't wear any emotions on his sleeve. You can't tell what he's thinking. <laughs> Every single word that comes out of his mouth has been thoroughly vetted. Yeah, it's like, which one of these is going to be a good poker player? Yeah. (laughs) It's not Kiem. (laughs) And Kiem is thinking, oh, God, he hates me. He misses his husband. He doesn't want to get married to me. He's not attracted to me. Kiem has all these thoughts. Janan, on the other hand, is very much locked into duty. Okay, I got to make sure this treaty goes through. I am going to do literally anything 
to make sure this treaty goes through. Yes. He takes his job, a.k.a. being married, very seriously. But there's this miscommunication that starts, I think, at this point, although it gets a bit bigger and deeper later in the story, where Kiam is so concerned about Jaden's feelings that he's like, he's really hot, but I don't, I want to stay very hands off with him right now. And Jaden takes this to mean he does not want to be with me at all. How am I ever going to win him over and make this work so the treaty will be secured? <laughs> yeah, he, he takes it real personal. He really does. So they get married. There's a lot of cultural stuff in this book, which is awesome. I really like how the author handled cultural me things. Too. The ceremony to me sounded just so bizarre. Like they stand there at separate podiums and like sign papers together or something like <laughs> There's such a weird thing. Like, I think the marriage gets presented to the public as a, oh, look, love. But I mean, clearly, like, it's not even behind closed doors, but like within the palace, they understand that this is just a political thing. Yeah, they know, it's, it's a business deal. Yeah, they know <laughs> that they're not madly in love with one another. So I think it lacks the atmosphere because they're just like, yeah, we, we know you, <laughs> you don't have those feelings for one another. We don't care. Uh, there's a point where they both get kind of nervous because their hands are like touching sort of and oh my god that's terrible and Janin knocks over the inkwell and it spills all over everything and he is just horribly yeah, embarrassed. He's mortified. Yeah basically anything that isn't absolute perfection causes Janin extreme embarrassment. <laughs> <laughs> so he's dealing with mortification a lot. Yes. Especially around Mortification is his bedfellow. At the end of the ceremony, they do kiss. And it is, again, (laughs) so awkward. Oh, buddies. It just further deepens this miscommunication that they have. You know, Jane is like, oh, he's actually repulsed by me. Oh, no. Kim is like, oh, God, this is so hot. But I shouldn't be into this because he's a widower. Grief. (laughs) (laughs) That night, Kim arranges for them to have like a private dinner. It's set up almost kind of romantic. It's very, it's the most (laughs) awkward dinner ever. Everything in the story up to this point is so awkward. It's hilarious. And then they have the wedding night. Kim has tried, like he tried to talk to his assistant about, you know, maybe building an extra partition in his room so Jaden could have his own space or maybe bringing in an extra bed. But his press secretary was just like, no, anything that makes this look like less than a happy marriage is a no-go. You have to be happily married. Which is just so weird. (laughs) (laughs) It's because they have to appear happily married to the public. It's, It's all about public perception. Kim is like, well, you can have the bed and I'll sleep on the couch and it'll be fine. And Jane is like, no, I have to salvage this somehow. And so he starts to initiate sex with Kim. Kiam is into it. They start, you know, kissing. It's hot. And then all of a sudden he's like, hold on a second. He's doing this out of duty. <laughs> this is bad. This is not consensual. <laughs> so he he puts the brakes on, which then I think at this point solidifies Janin's perception of how Kiam thinks about him, which is that he's repulsive and horrible and will never be what Kiam wants. Yep. Moving forward. They have the meeting with the resolution. They talk to the auditor, but they do not get instated, which means that the auditor does not see their marriage genuine 
And entered into with good faith or whatever. And therefore, the treaty is not entered into enthusiastically, I guess? <laughs> yeah, it's not, like, sealed. It essentially, like, puts a pause button. Yeah, the thing is, though, is that they, the auditor seems to see, like, this marriage, like, the person from one planet marrying the person from the other planet, if their marriage isn't happy, then that means that this planet isn't happy with this other planet. Yeah. It's a microcosm of what's happening on the other planet, which I don't know. I mean, <laughs> it's one of those things like, yeah, it is kind of true. Like, Thea is not necessarily happy with Estat and vice versa, but it's not because of what's happening between... Kim and Janan. Those are incorrect connections. <laughs> right, right. There's a lot of civil unrest on Thea. Okay. This is a, all in capital letters, very bad yes. thing. It would have made more sense to me if the marriage would have happened towards the end, like once everything was finalized. Because it's like, okay, they're married, so I guess the order of events was just confusing to me. Maybe I just didn't understand. They have to get married to have the treaty. They have to have the treaty to have the bigger treaty. I guess maybe that's... You could get engaged, have the treaty, and then have the auditor be like, you know, this is good. Yay, thumbs up. And then marriage. And then finalize it with the marriage. Because the marriage to me, sort of, the contract of marriage would have been, this is all of these treaty agreements finalized and agreed to. Each of the planets has a treaty couple. And then the auditor comes and checks out all of the treaty couples and goes, oh, all right, you guys are cool. I guess the big treaty is cool too. Is the auditor there to finalize all six of the marriages? Or is it one marriage every 20 years? No, 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 no. Okay, yeah. I, I can see where you're getting confused. I'm confused. So the resolution is the ginormous treaty with... The other planets everywhere. Right, the galaxy at large. And every 20 years, the auditor comes to make sure that they're still eligible to be part of this larger treaty. Okay. And then part of the conditions of being eligible for this larger treaty is that all the treaties that hold the empire together need to be above board. All of the planets in the empire have a treaty couple with Iscat that signifies the union of those two planets as part of the empire. If the treaty couples aren't legitimate, then the empire isn't legitimate. And if the empire isn't legitimate, then they can't enter into this giant treaty with everyone okay. else. Does that make sense? It does. I just, I think it's just a lot. It's a very political book. That is true. <laughs> and I think if it weren't so darn funny, I would have hated it. <laughs> Oh, I gotta love the dry British humor. <laughs> it is good. Moving forward, Janet and Cam are both freaking out because the whole point of their marriage is to solidify this treaty so that the resolution can happen so that the Empire is safe. Yay! <laughs> but meanwhile, life goes on. Cam has a some sort of charity event at the college and he takes Janan with him. Janan actually has a doctorate in deep space engineering. And so Kim, being the little social butterfly that he is, he's like, oh, you should talk to this person over here because they're doing stuff that's related to your field of study. And so Janan um, 
gets into this conversation with Professor Audell. Audell is working on improving the mining done as part of the Kingfisher project, which is a military operation. Yeah. Although the military doesn't necessarily want her help. (laughs) And Adele actually was in the military and lost her job, um, which she was basically happy about. But she still has this interest in the Kingfisher project. Adele offers Janin a consultancy. And Janin at first is like, eh, I don't know. And he looks over at Kiem. At this point, he's taking every possible social cue he can because he's still thinking, okay, I got to make this marriage work. This is my job. This is my duty. I'm here to support Kiem. And Kiem is like, yeah, you know, go for it. Thumbs up, dude. And it's different because, because Tam never would have done these sorts of things so Janen kind of doesn't know how to react yeah and and not only that but like if if tam like if he had asked tam oh i got offered a consultancy like oh that would have been bad yeah tam like his relationship with tam was extremely controlling he didn't have any any agency whatsoever in this relationship that he had before yeah no it's revealed through the course of the story like exactly how kind of oppressed he was and it explains why he walks on eggshells so much and he does oh my gosh yeah it's to a physically uncomfortable degree yeah you get into a janin chapter and it's just like okay he looked at me what does that mean Oh, he told me to do this. That must mean that I'm useful in this way. I will do it. Oh no, I failed at this thing. I must apologize and... Yeah, because everything's <laughs> his fault. Really healthy thinking. Being in Janin's head is so, so sad. It is. His mindset has been so changed by his relationship with Tam that now that he's in this completely different type of relationship with Kim, who cares about his feelings and treats him as an equal he just doesn't know what to do with it he doesn't trust it he doesn't believe it he thinks oh well kim you know maybe he just has a longer fuse than tam did or oh maybe cam's playing a game with me or (laughs) maybe maybe i'm doing okay but he is physically repulsed by me so he's never going to be happy in this marriage he has no no frame of reference for what like a normal healthy equal partnership could possibly be like no he even at one point calls himself the junior partner in the relationship yeah no this have yeah he does that multiple times because and and i guess politically it's true because kiam is the imperial prince and he's like from the other planet so his job is basically to make the marriage work yeah it's all on him it's solely his job that's how he views it yeah Whereas Kim immediately, not even once they're married, like once they're engaged, it's it becomes a we for him. What are we going to do? This is about us. Janin's problems are Kim's problems now. But Janin doesn't know this or believe it or understand it. And Kim doesn't know to tell him that because he doesn't understand what's going on with Janin. He thinks Janin is just in it because he has to be. Yeah. He doesn't understand all this inner turmoil that Janin is going through. For a large part of the story, he doesn't understand it. Yeah, I think he he can't relate because he's, I guess, never been in that position. He just assumes that Janin and Tam's marriage was a good one. Yeah, because of how the publicity for it was, which is kind of a, 
a big oversight for him because he puts spin on yeah. everything. <laughs> <laughs> but he doesn't think about how other people might put spin on things, apparently. Yeah, that's where, I guess, the naiveness kind of kicks in. That's his blind spot. <laughs> or he might be kind of expecting that Janin would say something, but I would think that Kiem would be able to quickly assess that Janin wouldn't be the kind of person to say something. I think it's kind of funny because Kiem is so worried about Janin's feelings that he hasn't stopped to consider that maybe it's not about Kiem at all. Maybe Janin has issues because of something else. He blames himself and the situation that they're in. Both of them are very self-loathing. And it it does kind of get to a little, like, goodness gracious degree. Where it's like, you need to dial this down just a little bit. Yeah, I was going to say, like, to a perverse degree. (laughs) It's It's negatively impacting my enjoyment of the story at this point. There's just too much. (laughs) For me, Cam felt like... It felt like a normal amount of self-loathing. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> what does that say about me? Don't know. <laughs> but like, Kim is basically like, I messed up a lot, so I just must be, I, I must just be dumb or whatever. Hmm. I made mistakes, so that must be just who I am. I'm the person who makes mistakes. Whereas I think Janin is much more, he's in that abuse survivorship mode where, okay, My whole world has been tightly controlled by this angry, volatile person. And my whole being has become walking on eggshells so as to prevent the angry, volatile person from being mad at me and striking out. He's carried that with him to this new relationship. I agree with you that there is a lot of self-flagellation. Yeah, I mean, (laughs) even even KMs with the, I'm a person that makes mistakes. Okay, so you're normal? (laughs) But at least there's a level of acceptance and he doesn't sort of use it to further abuse himself. Whereas with, with Janin, it's, it's sort of like, well, Tam's not here to abuse me. So I'll do it myself. Yes, I will carry on his legacy. Basically, because that's his normal. So he's going to perpetuate his normal because that's, that's what he's used to. It's not about whether or not it's correct or whether it should happen. It's just. It makes sense that a character would want to continue with what they're familiar with, regardless of what that is, because it's how they they cope with life. So a lot of things happen. I'm going to touch on them. You stop me if anything seems important to, to expand. On. OK, while they're at the college, not only do they talk to Adele, but they also talk to Gerard, who is Janin's cousin who he hasn't spoken to in a long time. And we learn that Janin basically has been cut off from his entire family. This is a big effing deal on Thea because Janin is part of a culture that centers around clans and clans have duties to other clan members and all these things. And because of his abusive relationship that he had with Tam, he was removed from all that to the point where he avoids it on his own now. Kim, however, becomes interested in Janin's culture and he starts asking questions like, oh, what does this mean? What does that mean? Oh, we should maybe put up your clan flag in our room. Isn't that a thing Theans do? You know, and he's just like, really, like, this is your place too. Let's learn about each other. And Janin's just like, I don't know about this. This is scary because it's different. Yeah. They learn that Tam crashed under suspicious circumstances, which is why they weren't instated at the resolution. And so 
Now they're investigating this. They go and meet with Colonel Lunver, who is Tam's, I think, direct superior. Tam was in the military, and there was a whole group of people that he worked with on this Kingfisher project. Lunver tries to convince Kim to step down from the marriage, saying, oh, it's this marriage that's causing the problems with the resolution. We need to find a more suitable couple. Kim and Jane are like, um, no, that sounds weird. The auditor said that it was Tam who was the problem. Yeah. Kim basically, I don't know, bullies them, but in a nice way <laughs> to get the crash data for Janin. Yes. Janin has been petitioning to get this crash data about Tam's accident or incident or whatever for a long time. And he's just been put off and put off and put off. And Kim steps in and he's like, no, no, this isn't working. You need to do this now. One of the lower officers, Aaron, gives the data to Janin and says, don't share this around because Kingfisher isn't popular on Thea. Then there's a dinner. After the dinner, there's a reception that's a Theon reception that they got invited to. Kim accepted the invite thinking, oh yeah, of course, Janin would want to go to this. <laughs> of course we can go. Janin thinks they're not going because he's never gone to a Theon thing ever since he got married to Tam. When he shows up to this reception, there's all these issues Everything starts coming to the forefront for him, like all the things that he's neglected to do, all the responsibilities that he's put off, all the relationships that he's neglected and possibly ended. The Theon ambassador wants to talk to them. They're very concerned about like this whole relationship. Like, is Kiem going to keep Janin from talking to us too? Like, what is going on? You realize there's civil unrest on Thea. If you guys were a little bit more open and paid more attention to us, maybe we'd be happier over <laughs> here. <laughs> Kiem asked Janin, like, why aren't you talking to your family? Why aren't you talking to your clans people? I don't understand. And Janin's like, well, my security clearance got taken away. Cam's like, well, why would your security clearance get taken damn, away? Damn, damn. Yeah, I think this is the point where Cam starts to wonder about Janin's relationship with Tam. Maybe it wasn't all perfect and glossy, like in the photos. Yeah. Janin starts looking into the crash data and finds that it is basically textbook perfect. So textbook perfect, it is the exact replica of an actual <laughs> textbook. He's like, there is no way that this could be the exact same as this like there has to be some sort of discrepancy here this has to be fake and i think just to dial it back just a little bit but when the issue with jane and security clearance comes up kim goes and advocates for him to get that removed which i think does end up happening but it also gets revealed that jane is like neglectful of his family like he's actually just not even trying because he was allowed to contact some people or contact whoever. He would just have to inform security first and that kind of thing so that they could monitor it. It sort of starts to get revealed like how much of this might have been Tam's doing and how much of this was Janin just trying to appease Tam and just not trying to start shit. Yeah, I feel too, though, that there there's a lot of evidence in the text that points toward Tam interrogating him about his contacts with his family, probably because his family also has political connections. And so Tam is very hyper aware of all this. Like, what did they talk about? What did they say to you? Well, yeah. Janin is just like, well, I want to avoid all of this. 
Yeah, because he's trying to make the marriage work. He doesn't want to upset Tam. The story doesn't get too much into this, but I kind of wonder how much of it is a fear response. Because we do learn that there there were times when, when Tam was physically abusive toward Janan. Mm-hmm. And Janan did not put up a fight, even though Janan is skilled in martial arts and using a quarterstaff and well able to take care of himself. He allowed Tam to be physically abusive toward him because he felt like it was his fault. And he, I don't know, he, he had his duty that he wasn't upholding, yeah. maybe? I, yeah. I don't know. He felt he deserved it. Maybe, yeah. I mean, he does take the blame for everything. I'm not saying he did by any means. I'm just saying he thought he did because that would make sense in his own narrative in his head to allow that to happen. Yeah, I think you're right. It's like a penance. You know, it's like, no, no, I have to be deserving of this to justify why I'm getting treated this way. Right. Because it couldn't possibly that Tam is an abusive asshole. It's because I did something wrong. (laughs) One plus one has to equal I'm a piece of shit. Not one plus one equals Tam's a piece of shit. Yeah, there's a significant psychological impact that this relationship with Tam had on Janan. I think the author does a good job with it. There were parts that were kind of heavy, kind of hard for me to read, and not so much because depictions of physical abuse or anything like that, even though there is a little bit of that in this book. It's just the mindset that Janan is in, I think, is is just so well depicted that you can just feel it, I think, a bit. Yeah. Or at least I could. You feel the eggshells on your feet. Yeah, it was... It was very, like, there were parts that were just very uncomfortable to read. I could really sympathize with Janan's situation. And it made a lot of sense why he wouldn't even try to explain it to Kim. Like, he's just in full-on protect mode. Because he also knows he's got no support. He has no one that he can turn to. Yeah, because he's been cut off. He can't He can't go to security. He can't go to the emperor. He can't go to his own family. He can't go to anyone to help him. Because they would all either... Or what he's afraid of is that they would take Tam's side or the treaty's side. Yeah, that they would prioritize the treaty over yep. his well-being. And some of these people would. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> not his Not his family, but like the emperor, for example, would. <laughs> um, so after the flag is removed, uh, Kiem and Janan have like this really interesting conversation where Janan asks him, he says, and I think this is the first time Janan really reaches out to Kiem for instructions or anything without assuming because he asks him, so I only have to clear my communications through you now, right? And Kiem's like, uh, no, you can do whatever you want. <laughs> like, please communicate freely. Yes. And don't involve me because it's none of my business. <laughs> Yeah, he's like, you can tell me about it if you want to, but only if you want to. You do your own thing. And and I mean, and clearly Janan's excited because he immediately wants to call his, I think it's his sister. And meanwhile, Kiam's trying to leave the room fast as he can. Like, he doesn't want to be even in the room as he's dialing. He's like, this this feels like it's an invasion. I'm trying to awkwardly leave. Something that I thought was really interesting about that whole interaction, too, is that he almost, I think this is like the first challenge that Janan uh, dishes out, because he basically is like, okay, well, then I'm going to call my sister. And Kiam's like, okay, please, please call your sister. Have fun. Bye. Exactly. Here, use the office. You can close the door and you can have privacy. (laughs) Yeah. 
I thought that was that was interesting. Um, I think Janan is starting to test the boundaries very gently. Yes. And by boundaries, I mean his own boundaries that he, he's had set for him due to his prior experiences. I think it's important to note that there are some physical resemblances between Kiem and Tam. Yeah, they are family. Yeah, which screws a little bit with Janan in the beginning. I guess they must physically resemble each, each other enough that it kind of plays into that well maybe he's just like his cousin yeah i i also thought that maybe he had like an opinion of oh all the imperial princes must be this way yeah what was it as i think in the beginning of the book janan sees tam places you know well when you're grieving you know you like think the person is around you like i know when he was close to the remnant he thought he saw tam and he attributed that vision to the remnant but even before then yes. it made me wonder like is is the remnant around him or is this just grief or what yeah the author does a good job of putting you in this questioning mode about where is Janin coming from from the very beginning yeah why is he acting this way and slowly dishes out these clues to the point where you realize oh that's what it is oh that makes so much sense yeah yeah Okay, <laughs> so moving on, due to the consultancy that Janan has now with the college with Adele, Adele has given him a ton of the data from the Kingfisher project that they were able to get from the military. And she wants Janan to look through it and see if he has a different perspective or can find something else. And as Janan is going through this data, he realizes that there's a lot of money missing. Tam's name just keeps coming up because Tam was in charge of a lot of the stuff for Kingfisher. Oops. And he realizes maybe Tam has been embezzling this money. And then he looks at his bracelet thing. So they all have like these communicators that are like bracelets that they wear on their wrist. They have like a personal account that they do all their all their communication through. Janan's account was a subordinate account to Tam's account. So Tam didn't even let Janan have his own stuff. But come to find out, maybe this was a twofold reason that he did this. One, control. Two, so that he could use Janan's account to send shady messages. <laughs> Isn't he just a peach? A rotten peach. Janan starts freaking out a bit. Because he realizes, oh my gosh, all this stuff is happening through my account. I look extremely suspicious. There's motive here. I could be implicated <laughs> in both the embezzlement and in Tam's death. Yay. I mean, not yay. <laughs> <laughs> he tells Cam about this and he's really, really, really freaking out about telling him because he's like, oh no, how is he going to respond? Cam responds as Cam would, which is basically... Well, what are we going to do to fix this? This is an us problem. <laughs> and they decide they're going to go travel to uh, Colonel Lumvar and Aaron and see if they can discover the real data. Like maybe the data that they got was fake. Maybe there's other data there that they can get about the crash site. However, the Colonel and Aaron are at a different site now. They're no longer close. And so they have to take Cam's flybug Kind of like a mini road trip, I guess. It takes them like a day to get there. Yeah, and they stay there overnight, I think, at least one night. But while they're flying there, they start bonding. You know, they talk about light subjects, but 
personal things and music and Jaden's like, oh, have you ever done stunt flying? And they like <laughs> take turns flying the fly bug and doing tricks and stuff. And I don't know. It, I, I think it's where the barriers start to get lowered a bit in their relationship. When they get there, they talk to Aaron. They tell him about the embezzlement and Aaron gives them access to their records. And he's like, okay, well, I guess you can go through whatever you want. Might as well. As they're going through the records, they realize, oh no, there's evidence that there have been repeated hacking attempts on the network. Oh no, someone's trying to get this secret military information. Turns out that Professor Adele might be connected to these hacking attempts because Tam is related to her departure from the military. They talk to Adele. Adele says, well, I was going to leave the military anyway. And they're like, oh, okay, well, can you send us your resignation letter that's dated prior to this whole thing? (laughs) And she's like, yeah, sure. So she sends it to them. Then they call internal security, which is the emperor's secret service, kind of. Yeah. And they tell the head of internal security, recall everything about it and recall says well you guys have to come back to the palace now we need to interview you now they're like oh okay i guess so so they get back in the fly bug and they start flying back home and they're talking like well maybe we'll take the long way because you know we have to come straight home but they didn't say it was a time sensitive trip But while they're out in the middle of nowhere, the flybug malfunctions and crashes. And it's a really bad crash. They're both injured, like not significantly, but pretty badly. I think they're shocked. The reason the flybug crashed, like they're able to discover that it was due to the same failure that happened with Tam's flybug. Iska is a wintry planet and it's the middle of winter and it's very snowy. And so they're hiking through the cold snow. They're in the middle of a dead zone. Their communicators don't have any reception. So their plan is to hike to where they'll have some reception and then they'll call for help. There is only one tent. <laughs> Kiam's like, well, I'm used to the cold. I'll sleep outside and you can have the tent. And Janin's like, oh, okay. You would rather die of frostbite <laughs> than be next to me. This is awesome. <laughs> Basically. <laughs> I feel so loved. But this is where the miscommunication rears its ugly head because Kiam thinks Janin doesn't want to be with him. He thinks Janin's just doing his duty. Janin thinks Kiam is physically repulsed by him <laughs> and he He's never going to possibly make this work. So, yay. (laughs) Then there's the bear attack. And let me just talk about the fauna in this story because they talk about like the birds and the bears and the this and the that. But these are alien creatures, okay? (laughs) They call this a bear. It's a six-legged giant lizard thing. (laughs) You know, the quote, birds are like these vicious, (laughs) poisonous things that like try to eat you (laughs) i actually enjoyed how the author did this like using like normal animal names to refer to things that were not earth creatures but they get they get attacked by a bear Janin separates from kiam saying oh well you should go stay by the river and i'll go over here and it can't attack both of us meanwhile Janin has a branch that he's going to use as a quarter staff and he fucking kicks the bear's ass <laughs> but not before kiam fell into the river well <laughs> so kiam pulls himself out of the river he is 
in the middle of winter, in the middle of snow, wearing sodden, icy clothing. So hypothermia risk. They get back to the tent. <laughs> Jaden is like, okay, well, I got to take care of you. This is just how it has to be. Like, <laughs> I can't let you die. <laughs> you know? So he ends up helping Cam strip off and get into a sleeping bag. He starts one of the the heating things. They have like a couple of them that they can use over the course of this. And then Cam just isn't warming up. So Janin climbs into the sleeping bag with him and they share body heat. And it's just a very awkward yet comforting sort of thing for both of them, I think. At some point during this whole thing, Jaden has talked to Kiam about, well, I've been thinking I could go study in a monastery for a while throughout the year and then you won't have to see me all the time and maybe that would be better for our relationship. <laughs> if I weren't part of it or if I was distant from it. Kiam is thinking to himself like, well, if, if you want to not be here, that's okay, but I kind of like you around. <laughs> Cam suggests to Janin, well, maybe we could just be friends. Like, we could just be like roommates and you could stay here and, and not go live in a monastery and we could have a cordial relationship. <laughs> <laughs> And then Janin asks if there's anything he could do to make himself less repellent to Kiam. And Kiam says, but you're beautiful. And then Janin's like, well, if you think that, then why did you push me away on our wedding night? And Kiam's like, because you were grieving. (laughs) (laughs) I don't want to have sex with someone out of duty. So they finally finally clear up this misunderstanding. Yes, they find each other hot. They have the sex. Then the next day, they make it to where they get, I keep calling it reception, like it's a cell phone (laughs) or something. They get cell reception again. They get rescued. Because Belle is awesome. Yeah, Belle is Kim's personal assistant. She kicks butt in the story. We haven't really talked about her a whole lot, but she is one of my favorite characters. Me too. They find out that now Janin has been cleared of suspicion and now everyone's looking at Adele and they want Janin to help catch Adele trying to hack again since Janin kind of has an in as a consultant. And also Cam and Janin affirm to each other, yes, we are an actual couple now. We can do couple things, like touch each other. Woohoo! Yay, it is confirmed. However, we're getting down to the wire here as far as the resolution is concerned. You know, the Big Bad Treaty is still not finalized, and now we've learned that the auditor has revoked the status of all of the treaty couples. (laughs) (laughs) And he's like, this isn't above board. None of this is right. One of the deals of the big treaty is that any of the remnants that they find, they have to turn into the auditor. I think these are like alien artifacts or something or alien technology or something. And they've been turning these things in to the auditor. The auditor comes and picks them up every 20 years. Well, the auditor has discovered that they're all fake. So he's kind of pissed about that. Janin finds out, because he's still looking into all this stuff, he finds out that the Kingfisher project had a hidden storage area. And so he goes and tells the auditor everything. He said Tam had issues, so I've been looking into all this stuff, and I found all this intrigue. Can you please just let us have our treaty? (laughs) (laughs) The auditor is actually kind of cool, I think, because he says... He says, well, you know, no one else is trying to help me. So you're the Theon representative. You know, you could have your own treaty just for Thea if you want. Maybe that's the way you should go. (laughs) But Jaden isn't willing to abandon every other member of the Empire that isn't part of Thea. 
he has ties to Kim. He has ties to, you know, all the different people he knows and all this stuff. You know, he's not ready to let it go. He wants the treaty that he was originally supposed to be a part of. He wants that. Thank you. <laughs> the auditor's like, well, that's cool and all. In that case, your timeline is still the way it was. Good luck. <laughs> So while Janan's having his chat with the auditor, Kiem is talking to Garrett, uh, Janan's cousin, who is an associate of Adele's, because he thinks that Garrett is responsible for the hacking. But then he finds out that Garrett and Adele were working together to hack. And they both admit to this, but they're like, that's all. All we did was hack. Like, we didn't do any of this other shady shit. So Kiem lets them use his account to hack and they discover that General Fenric has blackmail material on all the officers, including a video of Tam being physically abusive toward Janan. In the video, you even see, I think, Janan says public or whatever. And so that's what stops Tam. <sighs> I know. Yes, Tam, can you please beat me in <laughs> private? <laughs> yeah, well, laughing because I'm uncomfortable, not because it's funny. <laughs> <laughs> Keep it up appearances, man. <laughs> yeah, it's fucked. It really sends Kiem for a spin. Uh, just so you guys remember, General Fenric is like the head honcho in charge of the whole Kingfisher project. So he's like the superior of the colonel, who's the superior of Tam and his guys. Okay, so now they're at a dinner. Kiem tells Janin, I know about your relationship with Tam. Because Kiem cannot keep any shit to himself ever. Nope. Ever, ever, ever. And he couldn't possibly wait for a better time to talk to Janin about it. He has to do it <laughs> at a dinner in front of others. Not like blatantly in front of others. I kind of feel like it was a side conversation, but yeah. still. He should know Janin better at this point. He should. I think he's just... <laughs> <laughs> really wanting to talk about it not thinking Janan would rather chop off his own arm than have a public disagreement yes <laughs> and I mean Kiem does get it to some degree because I forget if it's before or after this at some point they they are disagreeing and they are out in public yeah. and then people are farther away and then that's when Janan says public and Kiem gets it but I yeah any rate Janan assumes the worst. He assumes that Kiem now thinks badly of Janan again because he let Tam act that way. Yeah. Or he was deserving of Tam's abuse or I don't even know. Like, for whatever reason, he assumes Kiem thinks badly of Janan and not Tam. Yeah. Which is sad. So he gets mad and he leaves. He goes back to their room where they're staying, but once he gets there, he gets arrested for the murder of Tam and the attempted murder of Kiem, which is just blatantly fucked. Dun, dun, dun. When did that happen? We don't know. He gets knocked unconscious. They have these gun things that are called incapacitators, and so he gets shot with one of those. And when he wakes up, Aaron is there. Janan is strapped to like this table with like these big spiky things up around him and Aaron is doing the villain monologue. <laughs> Janan learns that Aaron is the one who killed Tam. Tam's whole team was in on the Kingfisher thing. They want to start a war. That's why they're doing all this to make the treaty get messed up. What did you think of that reveal? I think the Aaron thing threw me for a bit of a loop because he did seem like friendly toward Janan in the beginning of the story. Yeah. I kind of figured that Tam wasn't doing it by himself. 
I thought it was good. I liked it. Like it kind of like was shocking to me, but then made sense. What did you think? Along similar lines, like as I got closer to the reveal, it made more sense. Ideally, if you have a reveal like this, you you do want to make sure that readers figure it out before or have a pretty good indication before, I think. But yeah, it was kind of conflicting to me because I think Aaron, the times that we saw Aaron before then, he was so uber helpful and seemed to be on the level. It didn't seem, and maybe I just didn't pick up on it, but that there weren't really clues. And of course, it it always should make sense afterward, which is after they left, when they were visiting him, that's when their fly bug crashed. But then, of course, Kim's like, well, it was on a timer, so anybody could have done it. Yeah, I just, I think that's the thing, is I didn't feel like there were enough clues pointing in that direction. Even in retrospect, Aaron's persona never slipped. I think the biggest clue, and I didn't see this as a clue up until Mm -hmm. the reveal, but, you know, I had that moment where I'm, like, rewinding all the information I've been fed up until this point. And I think the biggest clue is that when Kim and Janan first talk to Aaron, Aaron is super nice to Janan and acts like they're friends, but Janan is not reciprocal at mm. all. Now, Kim thinks, and the reader, I think, is meant to think, oh, well, this is just how Janan is. He's like this with everyone, even nice people. Yeah. But it makes you wonder, in retrospect, why? Yeah. I, I felt like, because I know there was something that happens there that kind of explained or explained away behavior, which was good. I just don't think, I just feel like there could have been more. I think I have a different perspective from you because I want it to make sense when something's revealed. Like, I don't want it to be completely out of left field and have there be no no evidence in the text. Yeah, no, I don't think it should be either. But... I did really like how it was just very much like a kick in the face. Yeah. <laughs> like, I appreciated that. And maybe it's just because I'm not, like, big into reading mysteries or whatever. Like, I wasn't looking for clues or anything. So getting kicked in the face <laughs> was like... No, I just think early on <laughs> there could have been just a little bit more or something. Or maybe maybe even not necessarily with Aaron, but with other characters to sort of make more plausible baddies or i don't know because that's the thing is the story is filled with so much there's a lot of political stuff which is also related to the world building which i appreciated so i think it was sort of like where do you spend your time the story is a lot in it like it's science fiction it's romance it's political it's a whodunit You know, there's just, there's a lot crammed into the story too. And so I realized that certain things had to give a bit. I think one of the biggest uh, question marks I had was where General Lumber stood Mm, on all this. Yes. Because General Lumber, or not General, Colonel Lumber, she is at first the one who seems grumpy and unforthcoming in comparison to Aaron, who's like, well, I'll do this behind the colonel's back. I'll give you this info, even though she doesn't want me to. Yeah, which initially you're just thinking, yeah, because the colonel's a butthole. So that's great that Aaron's so helpful. But it also kind of makes Aaron seem a little shady. Yeah. But at any rate, the colonel is there when they get rescued. And they actually talk to her and they're like, you know, I think that that you need to look into this whole thing, like the whole Kingfisher thing. You need to look into what's going on in your 
in your military, like in your command. And she agrees that she's going to, but then later they talk to her and she acts like she has no clue what they're talking about. And now we learn that, you know, she got brainwashed into forgetting it or whatever. But I don't know, it just seems odd. Like the general, like Fenric would be in on it, but the colonel wouldn't. Yeah, I don't know, because maybe that's something that'll get handled in a later book. I was kind of wondering if this would be a series. I'm not sure. I I think this is the author's first book. I looked on Kindle and and Audible and stuff. Granted, I didn't Google it, but I don't see any evidence of a second book, but maybe there's one in the pipeline. I have no idea. Yeah, there's definitely enough material here for there to be more. Like, there's a lot of threads going on in this story. So I kind of wonder if some of those are left intentionally so that they can be picked up later. Yeah, possibly. Or maybe it's just something for us readers to ponder. Yeah. So while Janen is tied up, literally, Kim is summoned for a sudden meeting with the Emperor again. And he learns that the military has arrested Janen for suspicion of murder. And the Emperor plans to let the military interrogate Janen because legally she can't really interrogate him but she wants the information after this meeting Kiam is rightfully <laughs> pissed and he makes a plan with Belle and Garrett to go rescue Janen back to Janen Janen learns from the villain monologue from Aaron <laughs> <laughs> you know it it is it's a classic villain monologue yeah. I think but learns that General Fenric is the one who wants to break the treaty, and Tam was on Fenric's team. Tam, however, discovered Aaron was embezzling in addition to doing the other illegal stuff and got mad about the embezzling. So Aaron killed Tam over that. Now, Aaron has to find a scapegoat so that they can move forward with their initial plan of breaking the treaty and starting this war. And therefore, he's going to brainwash Janen and make him believe that he's the one who killed Tam. He's the one who embezzled. He's the one who did all these things. He's going to use this technology that is now illegal called the Tau Field to mess with Janen's memories. And it kind of reminded me a little bit of, oh, what is that Schwarzenegger movie about Mars? It's a Total Recall? Yeah, it kind of reminded me of Total Recall. Like, you're going to go into this person's brain and implant these memories. The most that I remember about Total Recall was that, like, face thing. <laughs> you don't remember? Okay. So in Total Recall, uh, he goes on a, f- like, they have this thing where you can go on a fake vacation. And so you go in and they implant the memories of the vacation oh, in you. All of the fun, none of the bug bites or sunburns. But as they're implanting these memories... It sets off like this chain of events, you know, where he's like a sleeper agent or something like that. But the thing that's interesting that made me think of Total Recall uh, in parallel to the story is that the way that Janen, like they're able to wake Janen up early out of the memory messing is that they have to convince him that it's not real. And that's something that happens in Total Recall is someone else comes in and they're like, actually, this is still, you're still stuck in this machine. They're still messing with you. You have to wake up. And he has to decide what's real or not. It was like that situation. Hmm. I wonder if I could be convinced that something wasn't real. I'm very stubborn. (laughs) (laughs) 
Well, you must relate to Janin then, because every time they try to mess with one of Janin's <laughs> memories, he's like, no, this isn't right. No, this also isn't right. Do you think you could be convinced? <laughs> Probably. I have a tenuous <laughs> grip on reality at times. <laughs> I think it's hard to know for sure, because I, I do tend to be a bit cynical. And so I'm like, well, where's your evidence? Like, how do how do I yeah. know? But the way that they the way that they're modifying Janin's memories is very insidious. They go back to a time and then like the conversation that happened is subtly changed. Janin is able to tell it's not right. I think there's a point where I would be able to tell it wasn't right. But there's also a point where I'd start questioning it. Yeah. And I think that that's what they're working toward with him, like breaking down his defenses. Yeah, I think it would be repetition. If somebody tells you something so many times and it's consistent, I think Janin would have every right to wonder. It's like ultimate gaslighting, right? Yeah. <laughs> and plus to get back to the story, like where is it the very last memory that they have where they're in Janin and Tam's bedroom? It's like there is no freaking reason <laughs> Kiem would be there. You know what I mean? Especially yeah. since prior to them, <laughs> Janin and, and Kiem getting married, they really never saw each other like ever. So it'd be hyper weird that he'd be in their marital bedroom. You know, I'd be like, um, wait, what the fuck? What are you doing here? <laughs> Creeper? <laughs> like, or why? Yeah. You know, it'd just be, this is peculiar. Well, okay, I'm going to rewind a bit so this does, so this makes more sense for others. Um, oh, but why? So <laughs> so while Janin is getting, I guess, essentially tortured, right? Kim and Belle and Garrett are able to find where he is and take down the technician that was left with him, like messing with his mind. And Kim uses his extreme social powers to convince the technician that, well, it would be better for you if you helped us than if you did these other bad things. And so the technician is the one who says, if we can go in to the program and convince Janin that it's not real, then he'll be able to be woken up from it early. Otherwise, he's going to be stuck there for a full eight hours. And he'd already been in there for four. Kiem says, okay, I'm the one who's going to go in and convince him it's not real because I don't want the technician messing with his memories anymore. And so Kiem does. And there's all these like... (laughs) vignettes of memories that seem slightly off to Jane and then Kiem shows up. <laughs> like all of them. <laughs> it's funny, but it's also like creepy. Yeah. I thought that was really well done. The whole hallucination, what is real, what isn't, what memories actually happened, which ones are fake. And Jane doesn't even at first believe that Kiem is the real Kiem, he feels like this is a hallucination brought on by the whole stress from the situation because he doesn't believe Kiem would ever even look for him because of that argument they had. Like he figures like his whole relationship that was slowly blooming withered and died during that argument and Kiem was done with him. And then there's another fun mindfuck moment because they wake up and then find out Tam isn't (laughs) dead. But then they find out, oh, wait, no, they didn't actually wake up. I know that that threw me for a second. I was like, because I was not 
I would not have been surprised if that bastard was alive. I know. My whole brain was like, okay, okay. So where was the textual evidence for this? Like, why does this make sense? And then it's like, oh, wait, no, no, never mind. He's actually dead, guys. It's okay. <laughs> I was like, no, it's completely within this character's thing to just be like, psych, not dead. <laughs> I know. Yeah, no, that totally made sense to me. <laughs> But then they actually wake up, as far as we know. I mean, maybe they're still in there, M. Well, hopefully they're having a good time. (laughs) But when they wake up, Aaron is there. There's a struggle, and Kiem uses the incapacitator to knock Aaron out. And then the security guards at the facility show up. Jaden was able to help during this whole struggle, but he was super weak from the ordeal he had been going under. And so he passes out. So when he wakes up, he's in a hospital type place and he's still doubting reality. Did all that stuff with Kim happen? Like, did he rescue me? Like, am I still dreaming? I don't know what's going on. And he goes through like the visitor logs and sees that Kim has never been to visit him, although everyone else has come to visit him or wants to visit him. But the reason Kim hasn't come to see him is because he got arrested. When Janan finds that out, he goes full protective mode. And this was just amazing. Like, I loved seeing Janan just, <laughs> okay, fine. I'm yes. all in now. He came and rescued me. I'm going to yes. rescue him back. So he goes to the press and he releases all the shit. Like, everything that happened with Tam, his whole relationship, everything that they learned, all of it. <laughs> As a result... Release the shit. Kiam gets released. They love each other publicly. It's so sweet. Because of the way Janan went public, they actually create a new treaty. So now instead of being an empire, they're more of a federation. Each of the planets has more of a say, more self-governance. And we learn that Kiam is going to possibly be a Thean diplomat. And Janan is offered the position of taking over the actual Kingfisher project, which is a deep space mining operation. And that's the end. Yay! I feel like I did all right. There is a lot there, man. We missed so much. There is, but my goodness, there was a lot packed in that story. So one of the themes I wanted to talk about in this story that I didn't really touch on too much earlier is how uh, gender and sexual orientation is addressed in this book because I mean Janan and Cam are a gay couple. The way the book handles it is like there's all these social cues for pronouns. If you're from Iscat and you're male then you use wood like you wear a wooden accessory somewhere to signify that you're male and if you're female you use flint and if you're um, non-binary I think you use glass. And so they have like this whole system to like identify like these are my pronouns. This is what I am. This is how you identify me. But then like on Thea, there's a different way, which they don't go into as much detail, but it's like, oh, their color was tied a certain way to indicate this or whatever. Yeah, I thought it was a cool way to handle it. It seemed really simple yet complex. (laughs) Yeah, which makes sense in a culture. Yeah, Because it's funny, too, because there's a couple times like when Kiem sees someone who's signifying in the Theon way and he's like, oh, wait, oh, wait, you're actually, oh, never mind. Sorry. I was thinking of it in an Iscat way, not a Theon way. Yeah. (laughs) 
And then as far as uh, sexual orientation goes, the only real mention of it is at the beginning of the story when Kiam is learning he's getting married and they state like, well, you have no gender preference, so here you go. Yeah, because I think they even say like Kiam dated both men and women. I don't think they mention any non-binary. I could be wrong. But yeah, because I remember that was one of the things Jaina was worried about is like, well, Kim's dated both, but, you know, leaning towards more women than men. He yeah. was using that again as a... Reasons I suck. Yeah, basically. <laughs> Reasons why this may not work or I have to work even harder to ensure that this will be successful because the marriage succeeds or fails because of me. <laughs> it's all my fault. Yep. I thought it was interesting. I think it was one more extra part of the culture that like gave a little bit more flavor to the story. It wasn't made much of in the story, aside from the fact that, you know, we were introduced to characters like, oh, so-and-so had a wood bead in their hair. He said this. Yeah. Like the security, head of security. Oh, recall. Yeah. Recall was non-binary, and so they introduced Recall that way, and then they used they, them for Recall. There was no focus on, like, physical appearance at all. It was all about the accessories, like how they presented with the accessories. Yeah. Well, I mean, and if it's a part of your culture, it's not a big deal. Yeah, it was something that made the world, I think, seem more foreign, which in this case was really good. I like how that was handled. I had a question to you, which is, because there was so much packed into the story, would you still consider it a romance? Yeah, so I thought about that a lot. Because not only is it like a cross-genre type of story, it also is a slow burn. Yeah. So the attraction that they have builds slowly and gradually. The relationship builds slowly and gradually. They don't have sex till like, I think after the middle of the book. Not that they don't have chemistry, because they do. They don't want to, but they do. (laughs) (laughs) I would say that... according to our definition it is because both people in the couple are the main characters Mm -hmm. and over the course of the story they fall in love and get together and presumably live happy ever after hopefully so i would say it meets our definition i could see how some people would be a little disappointed if they went into this book wanting a sci-fi romance because it is pretty heavy on the sci-fi and also the political intrigue and then again there's the whodunit element yeah And it is kind of like that higher level sci-fi where it's more of a top-down approach. Like this is a whole culture that we're looking at versus just two people living in a different area. Um, So it does have more of a bird's eye view of the world than a boots on the ground view of the world, which I feel like a lot of sci-fi romance is more boots on the ground which is one of the reasons I typically find it so appealing. Although I think that the author did a really good job of keeping us grounded in the two characters and the world filtered through their eyes and them constantly navigating the relationship with each other. I think the relationship did stay front and center throughout most of the book. So if you're looking for a book that, you know, is a nice slow burn that has a lot of stuff in it, I think you'd still be satisfied reading it as a romance. Yeah, it makes sense that it's a slow burn because it would have been... Yeah, it really does. (laughs) It would have been really weird to do it another way, actually. I agree. (laughs) I mean, it's like, oh, my husband just died. Hello, lover. That would have been weird. That would have been so strange. It would have felt really disingenuous, even given Janin and Tam's history. Even given the mutual attraction between Kim and Janin. Yeah. 
Did you have a differing opinion about whether or not this was technically romance? I think it definitely fit our definition of romance, but I don't know if it would fit a genre definition. I was wondering about that too. (laughs) And I went and I looked at some of the Goodreads reviews Uh and it seems to be a mixed opinion. Like some people are very much like, this is exactly what I want out of my sci-fi romance. And then other people are like, this is sci-fi with a hint of romance in it. Yeah, it's definitely going to fall along personal preference lines. So it's a bit of a divisive book. But I kind of like that. I kind of like that it blurs the lines. (laughs) Yeah, I like it too. Because there is so much, which made it really enjoyable to read as a result. Yeah, the author did a really good job with the world building. I think that that is a big part of what I enjoy about sci-fi and why I tend to prefer like more sci-fi romance stories because I like the whole new world and everything like that but I tend not to like the bird's eye view sort of story, which the story does edge that way, but the author managed to keep us grounded in those characters. Yeah, I think another writer would not have been able to pull this off as successfully. Yeah, I think it takes a special skill to play with the genre in that way and still keep it in that realm of romance. Agreed. So what were your thoughts about the audiobook this time? The book was narrated by Raphael Corkill. I think he did a really good job. He definitely gave distinct voices to all the characters which in and of itself isn't necessarily always needed but I think it really helped with the story yeah I think you did a very good job capturing the (laughs) the social awkwardness (laughs) oh so much awkwardness I really like cringe humor I think that's why I like it so much yeah it was good some high quality cringe in this story there was there definitely was oh what i did want to point out too normally i don't notice this but i really liked the cover art for this book did you get a chance to look at it i'm sure you must have oh yeah it was beautiful i love the the layers of colors and the juxtaposition of stuff and the silhouette i do love the silhouette thing thumbs up to the cover artist yes So, Em, are you happy for their happy? I am happy for them. And I actually think they'll be happy together, which makes me happy. (laughs) Because sometimes you're like, I don't know how that's going to go. Good luck. (laughs) You two crazy kids got something to work out. I do hope, like, if this does become a series, that these characters come back in and we kind of see how Kiem's doing at being a diplomat. (laughs) I think that would be interesting. And to see Janine come out of his shell more. Because I don't know if if her intention would be to continue with these characters or, as is often the case in romance, have other characters be the protagonists. I'm genuinely curious as to what their lives will be like in future. What about you? Were you happy for their happy? I am so (laughs) happy for them. And I agree with you. I would love to see what happens with them next. And if the author does continue the story, I really hope that they continue with Jane and Kim. I think that there's still a lot more of their relationship journey that could be told. Me too. I don't think that they worked out all the bugs necessarily, but I think that they're invested. I kind of hope that Maxwell would continue with these specific characters because I think you're right. There's so much more to be said or told of them. Yes. So on the off chance that you're (laughs) listening, more Jane and Kim, please. Thank you. (laughs) All right, so let's rate them. How would you rate Kim? I put, and this won't be real surprising because of how the book starts, but like awkward that gets awesome. 
And I think part of it too is oh, so much self-loathing. <laughs> I have a, I guess I just have a lower threshold for that. I enjoyed Cam. I think I liked Jane in a little more. But yes, I think he gets awesome. I think he works up to it. It's so tricky because he definitely has like that naive attitude. I get a little frustrated with him because I'm like, you grow up in politics. You cannot be that naive. You are how old? (laughs) Come on. Like you have to understand that a public persona and a private persona are not the same thing. Well, do you think he has his blinders on a bit with Janin? I mean, he does seem to be pretty socially aware otherwise. I think it's just Janin. And I think it's because maybe he told himself initially, nope, nope, off limits. I don't think that fully satisfies. (laughs) Because I just, it it just, it's not a romance thing. I appreciate that it gets tied into that because the nature of the story but it's not explain that kiem would know he would see his grandmother going up and saying one thing to the populace and then doing other thing and being another person when the doors are closed i know there's that time where kim gets pulled into like her office not the pretty one that's for for public governing but like her working office that is not as as shiny and filled with glitteriness so he would understand that A side, B side. So he would understand that Janin would have that too, that, that Tam would have that, that even just as individuals, not necessarily the couple part of it. What did you think about, we didn't, we didn't talk about this, but you remember when um, Belle confesses to Cam that she's being blackmailed by Aaron and that's why she left initially and she had been working under Cam under false pretenses like her whole work history and everything was fake because she was an (laughs) ex-pirate yes and Kim was like, okay, so are you going to come back and help me or not? And she's like, no, don't you understand? Like, I've been lying to you this whole time. And he's like, mm, well, yeah, but no. Are you going to come back and help me? Like, <laughs> I know you. I know who you are. You know, how do you think that plays into uh, your perspective on Kim? Because I thought that was a pretty interesting take that he viewed Belle purely through her interactions with him. And when he got like this extra info about her history and the fact that she covered it up, he's like, well, it makes sense that you cover it up. Now come back and, and be the Belle I know. This might sound mean. Honestly, I think it's just selective. It's like, I'm just going to ignore the stuff that I don't want to think about. And it feeds more into that naive kind of kid-like idea. It's just like, well, this isn't, that's not the real you. Yes, it is. It's another aspect of who that person is or that character is. He just doesn't want to deal with it because he's more focused on his wants and needs at that moment. I think for me, I rated Cam awesome. I agree that he does have a bit uh, naivete. I think, though, that he purposefully avoided the political side of things as much as possible, given that he grew up in that environment. Like, he d- he's kind of estranged from his mother. He's kind of estranged from the emperor, even though he lives at the palace and and everything but like he's not on necessarily good terms with her because of his past he kind of had a bit of a party boy bad boy sort of youth and he just kind of has thrown himself into well i'm going to make lemonade out of these lemons the press views me a certain way so i'm just going to feed into that energy but use it for good and do these charity things and so there is a bit of like that self 
self-flagellation <laughs> a bit in that way. I think with his perception of Jane, and I think he was so caught up in, oh, if I were in that situation, I would feel this way and I would hate the person marrying me. And so I think that he was just so caught up in like how Jane must be feeling that he didn't take a minute to actually think about how Jane was feeling or ask Jane how he was feeling. Or talk to Jane about it. Which for a character who's supposed to be have such emotional intelligence, it's kind of weird that he didn't just ask him. Of course, I don't know if Jane would have told him the truth. Yeah, I think it added like this interesting, awkward layer because of their relationship, yeah. though. Because everyone else he's so friendly with and cordial with and just casual with. But he also doesn't necessarily want them to like him or anything. He's just playing them. Yeah. And and there's multiple times when he plays people. Like he talks people into doing things his way. Yeah. But he doesn't want to do that with Jaden. No. And I think maybe that it comes from like what he wants out of a relationship. He wants a mutual, a mutually respectful relationship. And he's trying to treat Jane in the way he would want to be treated. And I think that maybe, maybe he doesn't realize how that might look to someone like Jane. Yeah. I give him more of a pass than it sounds like you did. I, I thought he was awesome almost entirely. And I especially liked as the story progressed, he kind of became more confident. And some of his other competencies showed, like when they were stranded, he's like, well, I'm going to take care of us because I got trained yeah. on this and I'm going to keep you safe. When he needs help, he doesn't hesitate to ask for it. When he learns that Jane is in trouble, he's like, well, I'm going to go fix it. I'm going to get him. I'm going to take care of it and I think the biggest point in his favor is that even though this was a relationship that he was forced into even though it was a relationship that he thought Jane didn't want he still tries to make the best of it from the very beginning and he's very much like this is a partnership we're in this together I agree so how do you rate Jane? I put that Jane was awesome because I think he is and I think poor Jane needs therapy <laughs> oh yes all He's the therapy. Quite a lot of it. Hopefully that is available to him. I thought he was a really interesting character too. Not that I didn't think Cam was, but like one of the interesting things about Janin's thinking was I think it might have been when they were going through his memories where Tam was being whatever shade of asshole he was. And Janin was thinking that seeing him standing up for himself as a self destructive behavior. That is not. <laughs> No, no, no. So I thought, you know, it was it was interesting. It was completely aligned with who that character was. And I like that he overcomes a lot in his story when he stands up for, which it's easy to, to not appreciate what that is, but like where he asks Kiam, like, so I have to clear my calls through you? He's finally getting that Kiem is not Tam and is not going to treat him as Tam did. He's not going to all of a sudden have to worry about getting backhanded or whatever. He's not going to have to worry about that other side coming out. Because with Kiem, there, there is a manipulative side, but he, he only uses that on other people and only when they won't do what he wants, which that's still not. But Kim is also very straightforward. Like, he will tell whoever point blank yes. what he thinks. It's not dishonest. Like, there's no hidden no. layer there. <laughs> Whereas with, with Tam, there totally was. It was like, no, no, everything's awesome. It's great. It's wonderful. We're fine. Whack. 
I really hope that we get to spend more time with these characters. I would love to see who Jainan is when he is out of his shell more, you know, when he gets to go be a nerdy engineer. Yeah, as he continues to heal. Yeah. What about you? Oh, I, I'm i like half in love with Jainan. <laughs> um, I rated him awesome. He's like just a little soft puppy. I want to cuddle him and make him feel better. Have some hot cocoa. Guy. Consensually, of course, not if he didn't <laughs> want it. He is such an interesting character. I thought the author did an extremely good job showing the beginning of his journey toward healing from his past relationship and the abuse that he suffered. I think that the author did at times an almost painful job (laughs) of really grounding Jane in in a way that really felt visceral. Like just, oh, wow, this is just so heavy. (laughs) And he does show growth throughout the story. Like, I just love how throughout the story, he just slowly starts realizing, oh, I can I can push the boundary a little bit. Oh, poke, poke. Oh, wait, he didn't react. I could poke harder. Yeah. Poke, poke, poke. And then there's the point where he starts making like little snide <laughs> jokes or little uses of sarcasm. And it's just like, oh, yay, he's, he's trying. He's healing. It, it was just such a nice story um i do think that this story was the beginning of that journey for Janan, which is why i think a second book that still covered their relationship would be worthwhile because we don't see all of that we just see like okay it is getting better and we have reason to think it yes. will continue to but yeah i thought he was awesome <laughs> <laughs> what did you think about the antagonists in this story Tam was an asshole. Oh, yeah. But, you know, it's one of those awesome at being awful. You know, like... Yeah, he was he was effective. Exactly. And also, you know, Maxwell did a good job with rendering him. Oh, yes. Same with Aaron, too. I feel like they're buttholes cut from the same cloth, so to speak. It's weird. <laughs> I know. I heard myself after I said it. But I can't take it back now. I don't want this butthole cloth. Can we get rid of it, please? Oh, so gross. (laughs) (laughs) I feel like they were effective. I do sort of wish they were developed a little better. Maybe that what would have helped make them... Oh, this sounds terrible. Would have made them more horrible. Like, they were horrible enough, really. But I feel like... What also could have helped them in their horribleness is if they had a seeming amount, like a shred of humanity (laughs) or somehow, you know what I mean? Do you feel that they were too evil? What I feel like would have helped with their evilness would be like if they were allowed to be a little more sympathized with in some fashion. I think maybe it could work with Aaron. I don't think with Tam. Then it would just up the evilness or something. (laughs) But no, I felt they were effective. I enjoyed disliking them. (laughs) (laughs) What about you? I think I disagree with you because, um, like, I do think that that Tam and Aaron were both effective villains, but I did feel like they were pretty well fleshed out. Okay. Um, Especially Tam that we see mostly in the memories and the video and then just cues throughout based on Janan's behavior. He's very much like that guy that everyone else thinks is great, but at home he's not. Yeah. He seems very much like that quintessential, like stereotypical abuser to me um, in that way. 
and especially his focus on wanting to keep the public version of himself pristine. And he does have a sense of honor because he did not like that Aaron was embezzling. That's right. He was cool with starting a war and stealing remnants and doing all these terrible things and beating his spouse and all this stuff. But, oh, embezzling crosses the line, Aaron. Sorry. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I forgot And then for Aaron... I really thought he was pretty well-formed, too. He doesn't have the same complexity as Tam does. But I think that the kick in the face when we get that reveal of the role that he played was just so good. And it made me think about what a slimy person Aaron must be to be knowing this whole time that he treated Jaden like shit. Like, to his face. But now that Kiam is there, he's going to pretend like he's friends with Jaden. That is some extra fuck up itness. I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> what an asshole. It kind of makes me wonder about the system as a whole. Like, how many other people knew? And should they be in the villain category? Oh, there's so many because Tam's whole team knew what Tam did to Janin. You know security knew. They had to know. Yeah, they knew. Everyone, Which I think. Which means the emperor probably knew too. Oh, God. All these people. Yeah, it, it has a ripple effect. Buttholes, all There's of them. so many people that are imperfect. I think it makes the story more realistic to me. You know, how much control can you have over someone's personal relationship if they won't leave? Yeah, and I think it's realistic to assume that the political structure would be like, well, we need to maintain this for the treaties. So, sorry, Janin. And I mean, Janin's obviously okay with it because he's staying. Yes, he's consenting. (laughs) Uh, Someone else I put on my list was um, General Fenric because he's kind of not very well developed in the story, but he's kind of like the big bad. You know, he's the one who had the master plan to cause the war. He's the one who started all of this. I mean, not the way Tam treated Mm. Janin, but started the other stuff. And then he just basically gets like a slap on the wrist initially, which means the emperor is complicit. Yep. (laughs) So there's definitely room to go in the story as far as those two characters are concerned. I don't know why, but I really hope Tam's actually dead. (laughs) He better be dead. Oh, my God. Yeah. So how did you rate the book? I gave it a four. Nice. I really enjoyed it. I think sometimes, especially in the beginning, it was... This is always so tricky with, like, fantasy and sci-fi and speculative fiction in general. Where it's like, how do you introduce a reader to a world without making them feel overwhelmed by the introduction? I felt a little overwhelmed in the beginning. And usually, I will listen to an audiobook twice. I definitely appreciate getting a second listen of Winter's Orbit. Because I just remember that first meeting, if you will, into Cam's world and Jane and Sue, where it was just, there was a whole lot of information it felt like was getting tossed at me and I was not understanding. And it could have just been me, my tired brain, my old, shriveled, tired brain. <laughs> it could be that. Your raisinette of yes, a brain. It very much could, could be that. Other readers would not have that issue at all. I really enjoyed the book. I really, really hope, you know, a series is in the works. 
I would totally continue. Or, or, you know, a trilogy. I could go for a trilogy. Yeah, more books. However many. Yeah. At least one more book with Kiem and Janin. What about you? How did you rate the book? So I rated it a five. Ooh, I think, is that your first five? I think that's your first five. I don't know. I may have done a five before. At any rate, I really, really loved the world building. Mm -hmm. I loved like the total immersion of it and how you're just kind of like plopped into the middle of the swimming pool. Like, (laughs) here you go. This is what it's like here. Try to figure it out. That was actually something I liked. And I think it's because the author gave us clues throughout. You know, we slowly learn about the importance of clans on Thea because Kiem is trying to learn more about Janin. We learn about um, how people express their gender. We learn about all this other stuff. There's this whole like hinting toward like this alien technology with the remnants, if that's what it is. And the way the author describes it, like how it's a color but their eyes can't process it as a color. Just really interesting to me. I really enjoyed the otherness of the world the author created. I also really liked how even though we did get more of a bird's eye view, we still kept the couple front and center. And there was a lot of time and attention paid toward them growing toward each other and learning who the other is and learning how to interact with each other and be with each other. And then you know it's safe for them to be together yeah I I just I really liked it I I was surprised I liked it so much honestly when I first started reading this book I remember you were dubious about it oh yeah because of all the political intrigue and normally I'm just like oh goodness I don't know if I can do this. So the fact that the author was able to keep me engaged throughout all of the politics, (laughs) because there's so much. Yeah, there is a lot. It's not boring. No. And it didn't feel confusing to me in a way that it wasn't meant to be confusing, at least. So good job. (laughs) I'm glad you liked it so much. So did you feel romanced? I did. But there is there is a caveat. Oh, okay. Because we got a lot of growing toward coupledom, but not a lot of as a couple. Yes. I really felt there was a lot of good chemistry. I liked how the characters interacted with each other. The focus on consent. You know, all the fun little, oh my goodness, I'm so awkward around you type of stuff. Like, I really enjoyed all that. I think it was difficult for the author to keep, like, because once they're established as a couple, then the author progresses to, okay, now we got to deal with this treaty issue. Yeah. And fix that stuff. And I would have liked to see a little bit more of them together, maybe before Janine gets arrested. What about you? Did you feel romanced? I didn't. I did really like the story and I enjoyed all the world building and I want more story, but I I didn't, but that's not unusual for me. We're used to it by now. There should be some amount of used to it at this point. (laughs) It'd be a little surprising if it wasn't. Well, what else have you been reading? I've been reading, there's a a book by Hope Jaren. The book is called Lab Girl. It's a memoir about her experiences as a scientist. She studies trees and plants and all that goodness. It's telling about, you know, in her own words, she narrates and it's her experiences growing up, working as a scientist, all of that good stuff. A slight word of caution, if you are planning to either 
read or listen to the book, which is she does talk about her own mental health struggles, particularly when she is pregnant with her son and it gets very intense. And I commend her, absolutely commend her 100% for being as honest and open as she was. She certainly didn't have to be. I think it was amazing that she chose that path. And I think the book is better for it, but it does get very intense. And it was, it was intense enough to a point where I had to put it down for a little bit. (laughs) So I'm like, I, I just need to put this down for, for a bit. Take a breather. Yeah, I, I picked it back up, finished it. Do not regret reading. Don't regret even reading that part of it. But yeah, just just a word of caution, depending on one's sensitivities. It was really good. I like how she talks about her relationships and her life. Her work buddy, Bill. I think you would appreciate him. (laughs) You should have a listen. You'll probably like it. So what have you been reading? I recently finished Billy Summers by Stephen King. The latest king. Have to read those, you know? Yes, yes. This is basically like a crime drama type story more than... There's no supernatural element to it, really. It is about Billy Summers, the titular character who is a hitman and his last job. Billy is different in a way because he only kills guys who have done bad things so he won't kill just anybody it has to be a bad guy he does it via sniping he was in the military and was an excellent sniper and so those skills translated to his I guess civilian life (laughs) as a hitman I really enjoyed the story so much. Of course, I am a Stephen King fan, especially a lot of his later works. So Billy, this is Billy's last job. He takes it because there's a lot of money on the line, like I think like $2 million or a million and a half dollars or something crazy like that. And he shoots the guy, but he's double crossed by the guy who hired him. And so now he's on a mission to figure out what's going on. And I don't know, like, just read it, man. (laughs) Okay. Dude, I can't describe it. (laughs) It is beyond description. Okay, so Stephen King does this thing where, I don't know if I mentioned this to you before, but it's like when he starts writing, I think he's like transported to an alternate universe where all his stories take place. And he's just telling you what's happening there. And he could just keep going, like, forever. And you could just listen forever. Yeah, that sounds about right. (laughs) And then at some point, he's like, okay, well, I'm done telling you about this one. Bye. (laughs) And it's over. And the door closes. (laughs) Yeah. I can't give it a good description, but I freaking loved it. (laughs) Um, You would probably enjoy it, too, because Billy is... So his cover is that he's an author oh. <laughs> and he's encouraged to um, to write a story to keep up appearances. And so he decides he's going to write the story of his life. The interesting thing about him is that he has this dumb self persona that he puts mm. on. Mm-hmm. So he's not dumb, but he lets, you know, the people he works with, the people who hire him think he's dumb. And it's a protection tactic. And so he decides, okay, I'm going to write this story as my dumb self. Oh, okay. But as 
as the book progresses, you discover that this whole him writing the story is is the story. Like it, it's a book within a book within a book. Like it, it just it. I don't know. It's well crafted. Mm, interesting. <laughs> yeah, I will add it to the list. <laughs> Very long. <laughs> bottomless list yeah i don't know if you'll get to it soon because it's like over 500 pages so if it's an audiobook maybe but not if it's one i have to read (laughs) have to read get to read okay so that's it for this time check out our website romancemepodcast.com for our show notes other episodes and our upcoming reads and don't forget you can subscribe on apple google spotify amazon all the places Join us next time when we discuss Spoiler Alert by Olivia Dade. Bye! Did you know that there's a wiki how on how to be random? Yes. Doesn't that defeat the purpose? (laughs) Yeah. So apparently randomness, as defined by wiki, can, at least as a humor type, be broken up into three methods. There's speaking randomly, acting randomly, and thinking randomly. Strangely enough, their advice not all that random. Have you seen the wiki how on how to freak people out? <laughs> no, but I want to now. There's a wiki how for everything. There really is. <laughs>